Well, open your Bibles if you have them. Uh, the Gospel of John. We find ourselves in chapter 14, and we'll be looking at verses 15 and following. We'll go ahead and finish up the chapter going all the way to verse 31. As you make your way there in your Bibles, uh, John's Gospel is, really chronicles the life and the ministry of Jesus. As we've been following Jesus uh, throughout John's Gospel, we find him and the final days, the final Final days of his life, the final hours with his disciples. This is the night before his crucifixion. And as he spends the final moments with his disciples, if you were with us in chapter 13 into chapter 14, Jesus made some some shocking revelations. He said to the 12, because he's he's now focused on just his inner circle, and he, he tells them in the upper room as he has a meal with them, he says, one of you will betray me. That's shocking. I mean, it's one thing for Jesus to predict that someone would betray him, but not among the 12. And we know, of course, it's Judas. He takes the bread from Jesus. Satan enters him, and he goes off to betray Jesus. Jesus also shared another more shocking news. He said, I'm about to leave you. Now, we know how Jesus is going to leave. He's going to be crucified on a cross. He's going to die a painful, humiliating, excruciatingly painful death. Um, and so if there's someone who needed to be comforted, we talked last week, is Jesus, right? I mean, you would think the disciples would be immediate to, to go and decide, to comfort that, to him, but instead we see Jesus comforts them. And as we were in chapter 14 last time, we, in the first 14 verses, we talked about how Jesus began to comfort his disciples, words of comfort. He, he, he comforted them with, the, the, with a command, let not your heart be troubled, You believe in God, believe also in me. The key to experiencing comfort is your faith in the Lord, your faith in God, your faith in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. He he comforts them with the promise of heaven. Jesus said, I I go to prepare a place for you. Uh, He he says, I've got to leave you, but, but here's the comforting words. I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's encouraging. He encourages them and comforts them with the truth. He He reminds them that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, I'm not just an option. I'm the way. I'm not just an opinion. I'm the truth. I'm not just a temporary solution. I am the life. That's who Jesus is. And then he continues on with comforting words, and he says, you know, as I am an extension of the work of the Father, so you are an extension of my work. And then this is a bit shocking. Jesus told his disciples, you're going to do greater works than even I have done. And we know that the disciples of Christ, including us who follow Jesus, are able to do greater works than even Jesus did as we share the gospel with the lost and people start coming to faith. We talked about it last week. I mean, even on the earth right now, and we don't know exactly what the estimates are, but some estimates are a billion Christians on the face of this earth. You pray that right now those are genuine, Bible-believing Christians born again, but that's a lot of people coming to Christ. And we get to continue that work. And, you know, as Jesus was comforting them, he, he told us how that we are to do that by praying our dependence on the Lord in his name. Because if we pray anything according to, in, in, in his name, we, we know that we have it. Well, as we continue in our text today, we're going to see more comforting words that Jesus gives his disciples and comforting words that are encouragement to us as we continue to follow the Lord Jesus. So, John chapter 15. 14, verses 15 and following. 
reads this way. Uh, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I'll not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Verse 19, a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, (coughs) and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, So I do arise, let us go from here. Jesus is spending just some of the final moments that he has with his disciples. It's the night before his crucifixion. And with his disciples, he reveals, one of you will betray me. The betrayer has already left. I'm about to leave you. I'm about to be crucified on the cross. But here are some comforting words. May these words be comfort to you in the midst of the crucifixion. In the midst of the fact that Jesus is buried in the grave for three days, may these be comfort to the disciples of Christ when he rises from the dead and appears to many, but after Jesus ascends even to heaven, these words continue to be a comfort to all those who are Jesus' disciples who are the followers of Christ. The first comforting words we get to hear about Jesus as we continue to answer the question who this Jesus is, is he comforts them first with the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, in verse 15, as we take a look at our text, we're going to see the expectation that Jesus has of his disciples. And then in verses 16 to 17, we get to see the provision that he provides so that they can meet that expectation. Uh, uh, Before I even get into verse 15, uh, we get to see who the Holy Spirit is. And the promise of the Holy Spirit is indeed our enabler. He's the one who's going to enable us to fulfill the task that God has called us to. Um, It's a helpful reminder, even before we get into verse 15, that God will never expect out of you what he will not first provide for you. And in a moment, we're going to see what he expects of us, verse 15, and then verses 16 to 17, how he provides it. 
There's a lot of people who, who like to say, God will never give you more than you can handle. It's not true. You don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Truth of the matter is, God will never give you more than he can handle. God will never expect out of you what he will not provide for you. And we get to see the expectation in verse 15. And then in 16 to 17, we see the provision, of course, of the Holy Spirit. What's the expectation? What does the Holy Spirit enable us to do? Now, prior to that, he enables us to do greater works than even Jesus did while on the earth. But as we see in verse 15, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus expects us to demonstrate our love for him by our consistent daily obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, don't show your love for me simply by saying, I love you. You should say you love God. Someone asks you, I love God, you love God. I mean, we, we all love God, right? Well, that's one thing. It's one other thing to obey God. It's one thing to come under the instruction of the word of God. It's one thing to gather with the people of God and in, in moments of worship, you lift your hands in praise and in surrender. It's one thing to, to, to come to worship and come under the instruction of the word and sing praises to the Lord on Sunday. It's a, another thing to follow through in obedience on Monday and the rest of the week. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, we're reminded of what the extent of these commandments are elsewhere in Scripture and Matthew twenty two thirty seven to 40, Jesus summed up the law for us and put it this way. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these commands hang the whole law and the prophets. You know, as we love God, as we love our neighbor, ultimately uh, we demonstrate our love for God. We show God that we love him. We show Jesus we love him. He's with his disciples, right? He just has a few moments left with them, right? And he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Can I suggest that uh, those who say they love Jesus but fail to keep his commandments are either liars or deceived? And unfortunately, we find ourselves at times saying, I love Jesus. I love him. I follow him. I demonstrate my love by by attending the services, I, I read his word in devotional time, but do we obey what he says? We, we ultimately show our love for Jesus as we keep his commands. Now, I said earlier, God will never expect out of you what he will not provide for you. And you've got the Holy Spirit who will enable you as we're going to continue to talk about it. But if you love Jesus, keep his commandments. Now, I talked about the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That really sums up the law. But in the immediate context of chapter 13 to 14, Jesus gave a few commands, if you recall what they were. At the beginning of chapter 13, if you remember, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. And after he takes off his outer garment and puts on the garment of uh, the least ranked servant in the household and starts to wash their feet. Do you remember the command he gave in chapter 13, verse 14? He says, as I have washed your feet, wash one another's feet. Jesus says, if you want to show your love for me, show it by your, in humility, serving the needs of one another. That's how you show me you love me. 
Jesus went on to say, as I have loved you, love one another, John 13, 34 to 35, uh, because you'll know that, that you are, the, the world will know, everyone will know you are my disciples by your love one for another. And then the next command, if you recall in chapter 14, verse one, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So what commandments do we show our love For Jesus is by washing one another's feet, by serving one another as the least ranked servant in the room, by taking on the task of the least ranked servant in our relationships, in our church, and the opportunities we have around us. We show our love for Jesus. And as we love one another, as Jesus loved us, selflessly and sacrificially, that's how we show our love for Jesus. And by putting our faith in God, putting our faith in If you remember, we talked about those I am statements, putting our faith in Jesus, who is the bread of life, who satisfies the deepest longing of our souls. Jesus, who is the light of the world, who guides and directs our path. Jesus, who is the door to the sheep, who is the way to salvation and the way to the abundant life. Jesus, as we put our faith in him, we find comfort indeed in the one who, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. Jesus, who says in chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. And then 14, if you remember last time, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then when we get to 15, I am the vine. My father's the vine dresser. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit as you obey the command to trust in God, to trust in Christ. Ultimately, that's how we show Jesus we Love him. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, some of us may be thinking, well, if that's how you measure love, Jesus, when I think about my week last week, my attitudes, my actions, and my affections, Lord, if I think about just today, I haven't been showing you my love. There have been attitudes, actions, and things that have been outside of your, your, your will and outside of your word. And, and the challenge is, is ultimately through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, confess those sins. <laughs> to confess your sins is to, is to get aligned with the will of God and say, Lord, I agree with you. This is sin. This attitude is sin. These actions are sin. These affections that I have for the things of my flesh and the things of the world are sin. Lord, so I confess these things. You know, we're encouraged in a moment like this, even in light of this first verse, to take time uh, to identify those things in our lives, in our minds, in our relationships that hinder our love for Jesus. What are those things like right now? I mean, even as you think about your, your relationship and your marriage, your family, your, your church, as you think about the, the attitude you woke up with in the morning, what are those things that are hindering your love for Jesus? That are out of alignment with his will and out of alignment with his word. Let's confess them, repent of them, and walk in daily, consistent obedience. If you love me, he says, keep my commandments. Often we find ourselves tripping up on habitual sin again and again and again. How about consistent obedience, a consistent holy life set apart to him? That is my desire. That is my pursuit. Lord Jesus, I love you. Help me to love you.
you know, some of us ask, how do we do that? The Holy Spirit's part of it. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus says this, because there's, most of, all of us should admit, hey, I don't love you, Jesus, as much as I should. How do I love you more? How do I, how do I submit these things? 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. The way we pursue an obedient life motivated by our love for God is by reflecting on the amazing, sacrificial, selfless love of Jesus demonstrated to us on that cross. If you find yourself wayward, walking in sin, you find your attitudes, actions, and affections out of alignment with his will and his word, go back to the gospel again and again and again. There's something so sweet about the good news that Jesus came from heaven to earth. (laughs) He lived, he died, he rose, and he offers salvation as a free gift to anyone who will trust in him. That's why when we reflect on the gospel, it's not, God, can I continue to sin so that grace may abound? No, why would I want to? I have the resurrection life of Christ living in me. Jesus says, if you Love me, keep my commands. That's the expectation. So knowing the expectation, what's the provision? God will never expect out of us what he will not provide for us. He promises you and me the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful thing to be reminded that we don't have to do the Christian life or live the Christian life in our own strength, our own power, our own efforts, but we've got the Holy Spirit to do it in and through us. As we hear about the Holy Spirit, he's our enabler. He's also our helper. Verse 16, it says, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Holy Spirit is described as as our helper. In the Greek there, it's parakletos. It's a word that means to come alongside of another, to counsel them, to comfort them, to encourage them. And Jesus says, I am your helper right now. I'm here that's coming alongside you. And I have been for the past few years to encourage you, to comfort you, to counsel you. But don't worry, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. May that be a comfort to you. You know, sometimes when we see the word helper, sometimes we think of that in negative terms. You know, the wife is described as the helper of the husband. Let me bring you back to Genesis 2.18. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So some people take a look at that and say, Well, that's, that's interesting that you would call the wife the helper. How come the, the husband isn't the helper of the wife? But it's interesting to note that the, the helper uh, doesn't speak to the inferiority of that individual. It actually speaks to the deficiency of the man. <laughs> Because what we're reminded, uh, when you take a look at it, you're reminded the reason why it wasn't good, the reason why it wasn't appropriate and fitting within God's plan and purpose for the man is, is because he could not yet do all that God wanted him to do. There were some deficiencies, and so he made a helper comparable to him. A wife is not just described as the helper of man. God is described as a helper. So that means a helper doesn't mean they're necessarily inferior or weaker, means that they're stronger as well. God is man's helper. 
Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 54, 4, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. A helper, someone who comes alongside of another, parakletos, who is our counsel, who is our encouragement, who is the person we need in times of great need. And let me tell you, as believers and as Christians, may that comfort us today, even in our deficiencies. As we reflect on how far we've fallen from the command to love Jesus by keeping his commands, what a wonderful thing to know. The Holy Spirit is my helper. So Jesus describes the Holy Spirit. He enables us. He he helps us. And he's also a permanent permanent, uh, indweller of us. It continues. It says in Um, uh, verse 16, he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Okay, this, if if this doesn't shock you, it should have shocked the disciples in the room. And I'll tell you why, because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon individuals for a time. It was temporary. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit would, would be upon them and God would work through them, but, but it wasn't a permanent indwelling. You know, I always like to say this. I've said this before. Like if, if I ever get the chance to have a conversation with individuals in God's word, there's a lot of people I'm interested in chatting with, right? I mean, I'd be interested. When I get to heaven, I'll be chatting with, with Moses. I want to chat with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want to meet the patriarchs. It'd be great to just pick their brain. I'd love to meet uh, the, the prophets. Talk with Elijah, uh, I want to hear about the 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 uh, uh, that uh, that co- that uh, competition of the gods. Like I want to hear it from Elijah. I want to hear it from Elisha. But can I tell you, as much as they'll as we're interested in chatting with some of these individuals, you and I live at a unique time in redemptive history, in the sense that you and I, if we're believers, if we trusted in Christ as our Savior and Lord, what a blessing that we have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit indwells us and will not depart from us. We have the Holy Spirit sealing us for the day of salvation. And we know the work that Christ has already begun. He's going to bring to completion. What a blessing. What a comfort to know that the Holy Spirit is a permanent indwelling indeed. And so he's a permanent indwelling. He's our helper. He's our enabler. Uh, He's also... Truth teller, he's the spirit of truth. We continue to read verse 17. It says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. He's described as the spirit of of truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit is described here as the spirit of truth. But the spirit of truth is described in two ways here. It's described first as, well, it's the Holy Spirit, but it's described as that which cannot be received by the world. We're talking about the world, we're talking about the worldly system that stands contrary to God's will and God's word. 
that which is under the dominion of the God of this age, according to 2 Corinthians 4, 4, who's blinded the eyes of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. It says the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. The, the reason the world cannot receive him is it says because it neither sees him nor knows him. It is both blind and ignorant to who the spirit of truth is. And so if the spirit of truth shows up, they don't know that it is the spirit of truth. But then he says, but you, you know him. It neither sees him, sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Well, Jesus is there. And of course, where Jesus is, there's the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he is with them and the promise is the Holy Spirit will indwell them, but, but they know the Holy Spirit. Um, God is Trinitarian in nature. Uh, God, ex the one true God exists eternally as three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when we get to read about God the Holy Spirit, the, the text tells us here, the disciples of Christ know who the Holy Spirit is. Do you know who the Holy Spirit is? Do you know when the Holy Spirit is at work among his people? Did you know that the Holy Spirit was working in your heart the moment you you were aware that you were a sinner, a guilty sinner deserving of an eternal separation from God and his people forever and ever. And God convicted your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you recognize your need for, for Christ. And then you said, I'm going to put my faith in you, Jesus. I'm not going to put my faith in my good deeds or or, 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 or any religion or any ritual, but I'm gonna put my faith and my trust in you as my Savior and Lord. That's the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts. You know the work of the Holy Spirit, right? When, when, when you find yourself in a moment of temptation and you see the object of your desire, but, but you know in that moment the Holy Spirit says, no, I will not be deceived by that. I know your word. I know the spirit of truth when it's working in me. It's the same spirit of truth when you fall, right? You, you, there are times when we mess up, when we sin, and we're reminded, hey, don't, it's not the end of the road for you. First John 1, 9, if anyone confesses their sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In moments like that, the Holy Spirit's working and moving in our hearts and in our midst. You know, you know the work of the Holy Spirit when you're having a conversation with a neighbor or a friend or a family. They don't know the Lord, but for whatever reason, uh, the conversation turns to spiritual things. And, and God says, here's the moment I prepared for you to share about me. And you take the moment, you say, in and of myself, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Yet, Lord, you give me the words anyhow. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, you know the Holy Spirit. He indwells you permanently. Now, we can grieve the Holy Spirit when uh, we don't live as we should or walk as we should, but brings us back to who he is, but you know the spirit of truth, enlightens us to the truth, guides us in the truth and all things. And so for how are we comforted? We're comforted by the promise of 
the Holy Spirit. Now, these disciples didn't yet experience the indwelling. They're going to experience after Jesus dies, is buried, third day rises again, after 40 days on earth appears to many, and then he ascends to the right hand of the Father beforehand. He says, wait for the Holy Spirit. Don't you go anywhere. Don't you try to do anything in your own power. But the Holy Spirit, Acts 1, 8, shall, uh, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Don't do it in your own power. Don't do it in your own strength. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who comforts us with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The takeaways here, um, very straightforward. The first one is, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, place your trust in Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. Admit your need for him. Admit that he's the only one who can meet it. There's, there's a thing called sin that separates us from God. We're born into this world with a heart that's broken and sinful. But we're reminded that's why Christ came. God became a man in the person of Christ and died on a cross to bridge the gap between you and God. And the moment you trust in Christ as your Savior and Lord is the moment you are indwelt by his Holy Spirit. Romans 8 and 9 tells us that if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have the Son. The mark of a genuine believer in Christ is the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Receive the Holy Spirit by trusting in Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. Secondly, continue to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit. If I could give us a, a couple takeaways to do that, it would be first... Uh, Admit your daily deficiencies. Pride really gets in the way of our time in the word, our our time in prayer, our time just casting ourselves at the feet of Jesus saying, I need you and I can't do it on my own. We need to admit our daily deficiencies. The moment I wake up, God, I need you to give me the right attitude because I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Lord, uh, when I come home from work or as after my long day, you're going to have to prepare my heart and my mind because I've got some deficiencies that is going to hinder my love for you as I keep your commandments. And so I need to admit my daily deficiencies so I can walk consistently in daily obedience. So admit your daily deficiencies. Uh, Secondly, as you learn to rely on the Holy Spirit, pray God-sized prayers. Pray prayers that you know only God can answer. <laughs> you know you can't do it in your own strength. You can't do it in your own power. But, but as you pray some God-sized prayers, God begins to work in your midst. Can we open it for discussion there? Uh, when you think of God-sized prayers that are on your heart right now, uh, that you can't do on your own, what are some prayers that are you lifting up to the Lord, that you would like to lift up to the Lord, those God-sized prayers that only he in me, yeah. Yeah, so uh, those we're witnessing to, sharing our faith with, those in our family who don't know Jesus and only he can open their eyes. We can't. Sometimes we'd like to. If we could convince them, use enough Bible verses, logic, ultimately God will open the eyes of the blind. Yeah, yeah. What other God-sized prayers you pray Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you see, marriage is just struggling, and we, uh, 
there's counseling, there's different options that you can pursue, but ultimately, it's found in the Lord. He, he is the solution to every problem. As we draw closer to God, he draws us as married couples closer together. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? God-sized prayers. Yeah, Charlie. Yeah, and so uh, just praying for uh, God to lead, guide, convict, uh, yeah, hearts, yeah, follow his path, so good. Anything else? God-sized prayers. This is a fun one. I mean, you get to say, wow, God, only you can meet this need, Harold. Yes, yes, our tongues can get us in trouble, and uh, the Lord is the one who who uh, brings it under control, yeah. Well, I'd like to, uh, oh, Marianne, did you say? Yeah, and so just praying those God-sized prayers that only the Lord can answer. Yeah, Vicki. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Only God can bring the healing. Yeah, yeah. Just encourage us to continue to think about what are those God-sized prayers I'm praying for and being reminded we can't do it in our own power. We are incredibly deficient. And so how much more to rely on a God who's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. He can meet our every need. We pray in accordance with his will. We pray in his name, and he works. He moves. He does the impossible. He makes the blind see spiritually. He changes lives and hearts. He can transform relationships, bring peace where there didn't seem to be peace. I mean, God can do the impossible Let's pray to him. Let's rely on him. Uh, Relying on the Holy Spirit. Admit your daily deficiencies. Pray God-sized prayers. Thirdly, fulfill a God-sized calling. (laughs) Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus said, don't you dare leave Jerusalem before you get the helper. (laughs) Don't you try to fulfill the task that I've called you to. Don't you try to be an extension of my work as I am the extension of the work of my Father. You can't do it in your own strength and in your own power. We've been called to go and make disciples to the ends of the earth. That is an impossible task in and of ourselves. We must rely on the Holy Spirit.
You can't rely on business principles. <laughs> you can't rely on good experiences. You, you can't rely on a personality. You have to rely on the Holy Spirit. And so if I could ask this, this next question, how can we do a better job of relying less on self and our own resources and learning to rely more on the Holy Spirit and, and his resources? Because I wake up pretty independent in the morning. Like, I got it, Lord. Yeah, Harold. Yeah. Just prayer. Dis- disciplining ourselves in prayer. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. 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 Repentance. Changed mind that leads to a changed direction. Um, Following after the will of the Lord. Yeah. yeah. Anything else? How have you learned to rely more on God these days? What have you found helpful? Yeah, Lori. Yeah. The, the right people in our lives go such a far ways. Having that accountability in a spouse, in a family member, in a friend, in a fellow uh, church member, uh, yeah, just a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those daily disciplines of spending time in God's word and saying, this time set apart for you, Lord. Speak to me, guide, direct me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 But what a wonderful reminder, though, that God will never expect out of you what he will not provide for you. He will provide you the Holy Spirit to meet your every need, but also to live up to the call to keep his commandments. And when you fall short, you reflect, Lord, you loved me, and now I can love you back, and may my love be that motivation. So he comforts them with the promise of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the helper, uh, the permanent indweller, the truth teller. He's going to be with you. Uh, secondly, as we continue, verses 18 to 24, he encourages them with the promise of his, his presence, his, the promise of his presence. Verse 18 He says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Now, as Jesus is giving these comforting words, heaven is before you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I have to leave. I've got to go prepare the place for you. Uh, uh, He gives us all these comforting words in regards to the Holy Spirit. He knows their hearts are are still not at peace. And so he says, I will not leave you orphans. I'm not going to abandon you. I have to leave. Now, I've got to remind you, these disciples, they're having a hard time connecting all the dots. They don't understand everything that Jesus has been sharing these past three years. Not everything's going to come together until after he dies, rises from the dead, even appears to them. Everything's not going to come together until the Holy Spirit indwells them on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And so not everything's making sense, but these words are for them when they need it. 
And so he says, I'm not going to leave you orphans. Just think about the experience of the disciples when Jesus dies on the cross and is buried for those three days. Those are three long, very long days where they're shaking in fear. They're going to come for us as well. Jesus I'm not going to leave you orphans. I wonder if there were moments where the disciples are thinking, yes, Jesus is going to rise again. Maybe there are moments where you wonder, when is Jesus coming back? Things just seem to be going worse and worse and worse. I mean, it's a downward spiral of depravity. Take a look at the culture and things. Watch the news. Things just keep getting worse and worse and worse. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you orphans. Jesus came back, of course, with the resurrection, but he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he says he's coming back again in glory. What a wonderful thing when you're watching the news. He's coming back again, and he's going to right every wrong, and he is the one whose kingdom is going to stand forever, and all the rest will be no more. That's a good thing to look forward to. I will not leave you as orphans. And so um, I will not leave you orphans. I'll come to you, verse 19, a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but, but you will see me. So he tells them, uh, the world will see me no more. You're going to see me. Uh, this is probably talking about his resurrection when he appears to his disciples. Certainly when he um, uh, comes back in glory, he's going to see them again, but this probably speaks of, of uh, his resurrection. And then he says, because I live, you also will live. These are very encouraging words. Jesus, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. You you will have my presence. I'm going to return to you. You, You've got the promise that I will be raised from the dead. But not only that, you have the assurance that you are going to receive my resurrection life. Because I live, Jesus says, you live also. Brings us back to John 11.25, I am the resurrection and the life. You remember when Jesus told that to Martha, when Lazarus had died, her brother was in the grave for it. Jesus, if you had been here, certainly he would have been healed, but you know, I know he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna rise again the last day. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's the resurrection and the life in that he has the life and he's the giver of that life. You and I have the resurrection and the resurrection life of Christ living in us. That is incredibly comforting. When you hold the hand of a loved one who's getting ready to pass from this life into the next, what a wonderful comfort to know that they have the resurrection life of Christ living in them. Or you're holding the hand of a loved one who doesn't know the Lord Jesus, and you can share about the resurrection life of Christ that can indwell them and promise them life eternal. These are incredibly comforting words. You've got a world lost. They're sheep without a shepherd, wandering the wilderness of the world. And we talk with them in the workplace. We chat with them among our neighbors and our family members. What a wonderful thing to bring them some sense of comfort of the resurrection life that's given through Jesus Christ. 20, at that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Oh, wow. Just speaks of our union with God. Now, in the next chapter, we're gonna talk about how he is the true vine, 
Uh, we abide in him. We just stay connected to him. We'll talk more about that, but we already get a taste of it already. As, as we stay connected to him, uh, we're connected with the Lord. 21, and he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I will reveal myself to him. We go back to the reminder of We show our love for Jesus as we keep his commands. We keep his commands by our our dependency on the power of the Holy Spirit who resides in us. And we have the assurance of his presence. Because if you have the Spirit, you have Christ. You have a relationship with God. He is Trinitarian in nature. And he loves me and he will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And 22, Judas, not Iscariot, let's be clear on that, we're not the betrayer, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus, if you're going to reveal yourself, why not reveal yourself to everybody, right? I mean, if you're going to leave, you're going to die and then rise again, why, don't, why not reveal to everybody? Jesus is making this distinction again between those who are his and those who are of the world, It tells us, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. You want to know who are those who belong to Jesus and who have the comfort of these words? Those who love him, they keep his word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. In my Father's house are many rooms, are many mansions, Same word for mansion or room there is the same word for home here. And so it tells us, and we will come to him and make our home with him, the comfort and the assurance of the presence of God. What a wonderful encouragement. Uh, He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the words which which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. All throughout John's gospel again and again and again, Jesus says, if you want to know God, take a look at me. Because I only say the words that the Father has sent me to say. And I only do the works that the Father has sent me to do. If you want to know who God is, if you want to have a relationship with the creator of the universe, heaven and earth, Jesus says, look at me. Believe in me. Come to me. Put your trust in me because that is how you have a relationship with God. And so we have conversations with people. Who's God, you know? Is God just, you know, some thought that we have? Is he the universe? Is he the part of the creation? People have a lot of different thoughts about who God is and they say, well, what are the arguments for God? Just look at Jesus. Consider the... The eyewitness accounts of many as we hear about them in the word and take a look at who this person is. Jesus comforts them with a reminder of his presence. Jesus is the one who comforts them with a reminder that we are not alone. If I could give us a couple takeaways here, it would be this. Stand on the promises of God. Uh, One of those promises is because he lives, we also will live. The resurrection life of Christ is not ours the moment we die. The resurrection life of Christ is ours right now. And that resurrection life that resides in us, is, it gives us the ability to obey his commands 
so that we show him that we truly love him. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Jesus says again and again. Secondly, live in union with the risen Savior. How do you live in union with the risen Savior? Just by means of living in light of his presence. Every single day, we're reminded that he is with us and he lives in us because we have the Holy Spirit. Um, If I could open up for discussion, how has God reminded you of his presence, especially in times when you've needed that reminder the most? That's what Jesus is doing here. He's reminding them his presence, God's presence in their life. I'm not gonna leave you orphans. You know, I'm gonna come back to you. Uh, how has God reminded you of his presence this week? How does he remind you of his presence in times when you feel cold, you feel like your relationship with God is cold or distant? How does God remind you of his presence? Yeah. You say, well, God, I prayed that and you came through. Sometimes those answered prayers are, yes, no, wait. But Lord, you, you still answered anyways, and so I hear you, Lord, I hear you. Now, prayer and answered prayer goes a long ways. Yeah, uh, God shows up in unexpected ways. He says, well, thanks, God, for that. No, I see you. I know you're there. Yeah, unexpected blessings. Yeah, God's word. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we find ourselves just losing focus on the promises of the Lord, the words of God, and we struggle. When we get anxious, we get worried. Yeah. Any other ways the Lord reminds you of his presence? Even this week, this morning, you woke up as you were going about your day. As the Lord say, hey, I'm, I'm with you. Watching out for you. Oh, yeah, just going back to his word. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, God's so good. He reminds us of his presence in many ways in his word among his people. Yeah, Kevin. Oh, amen. God, where are you at? You walk outside, there's the sun. There I am, I created it. Oh, so good, yes. Sometimes just a walk, a hike out in, in uh, creation it goes a far ways to be reminded of who our God is. Stand by the oceans, ocean and see the waves crashing. Wow, God, you're way bigger than I am. I can, I can trust you, yeah. So good. Lord reminds us of his presence. He comforts us with the promise of his Holy Spirit. He comforts us with his presence and he comforts us with his his peace. His peace that's like nothing the world can offer. Verse 
25, it says, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. I want these words to be with you. After all this happened, I get crucified, I'm, I, I die, I'm buried. The third day I rise from the dead, I ascend to the right hand of the Father as you're going about making disciples in Jerusalem. And then persecution pushes you out to Judea and Samaria. And then you guys end up going to the ends of the earth and, and the Jews get the gospel and then the Gentiles get the gospel. I, I've given you these words. I've spoken to you while still with you. Verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The disciples, they're having trouble connecting all the dots right now. But there will come a time when everything comes together. What a wonderful reminder that the Holy Spirit's our teacher. You know, you can go home after this and just in the privacy of your room, open up the word and the Holy Spirit teaches you the truth of his word. You ever find yourself at times, you know, uh, um, you know, opening the Bible and then you're like, man, God, you just spoke to ex exactly what I'm struggling with right now. Every now and again, it's always fun as a pastor for people to come up to you after the message and say, hey, did someone tell you this is what I was going through because you were speaking directly to me? No, no, that was the, the, the Holy Spirit teaching you. That was God working. That was the Lord doing what he does best. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. I always find it just wonderful. Whenever I memorize a scripture, it's one of those interesting things that the Lord calls it to memory exactly when I need it that same day or you're going about your business the next week and you're like, wow, God, thank you for that. Or you're chatting with somebody who just needs a word of encouragement and, oh, there's that verse I memorized. It was never a waste of time. Always an encouragement. It says, he will teach you all things. He'll bring to remembrance all things I said to you. Verse 27, just a wonderful verse to, to memorize, to, to hold in your heart and your mind in good times and in bad. Jesus says this, peace I leave with you. The word peace is Shalom. It's a greeting that uh, people would share with one another. Peace be with you. And uh, sometimes you'll do that in different liturgical settings. Peace be with you and also with you. I want to tell you this. There's no such thing as peace without peace with God. You talk to people all the time in the world. They're, oh, we love peace. We're pursuing peace. We love to see people who don't get along together, get along together. There is no peace without God. Jesus says right here, peace I leave with you. This is the peace that the world wants. It'll give you cheap counterfeits. It'll try to solve the problems one way, but Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. What kind of peace we're talking about? We're talking about peace with God and peace that leads to peace with one another. We're reminded we're born into this world separated from God because our hearts are in a state of rebellion against him. That's concerning. That's why Jesus came to bridge the gap to solve the man's greatest problem and to bring peace with God. When we're born into this world, we're deserving of his eternal wrath and judgment. 
just because that is the state of our hearts. And the state of our hearts expresses itself in really ugly ways. You've seen those ugly ways, right? In your attitudes and your affections and your actions. And even as Christians, and that flesh is still there, it no longer has power over us, but we hate the flesh, you know, because it keeps messing with you. You think of Paul, who says, you know, when I want to do right, I find myself doing wrong. And, I, and just the struggle keeps that, that keeps on going on. And Jesus says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. The Lord Jesus gives us peace with God. He reconciles us back to a holy God. He forgives our sins and he promises us everlasting life. And we have union now with the Father and we abide in Christ. What a wonderful blessing we have indeed there's nothing the world can give you like that. And the key to peace is not just peace with God, but that peace with God leads to peace with one another. Do you find yourself uh, with tension in a particular relationship, in a marriage, in a family, among friends? We're reminded that the peace of God is what we need. He not only reckoned... Hey, if God can reconcile us to himself, how much more can he reconcile us to one another? Not as the world gives. Peace I leave with you, peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let, your heart, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We have no reason to fear. We have no reason to worry. We just have every reason in the world to trust in our God. 28, you have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Um, Let me make a note of this. What's a comfort to us as believers is a thing called fulfilled prophecy. Whenever you see God make a promise and you see he comes through with that promise, That is a great comfort and that is a great encouragement because all the promises that have not yet been uh, fulfilled, all of the prophecies that have not come to pass, they will come to pass and we can be certain in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So take time to, to take a look at the words of Jesus. He says these things and then you better be sure that you can trust these things. Man, you know, even the most trustworthy man or woman, they'll disappoint you from time to time. But the Lord Jesus, he is always consistent. Uh, It says this, I'm going to the Father for my Father is greater than I. Now, some people take that out of context. Got the Jehovah's Witness who say, well, there you have it. Jesus is a a lesser created God. No, Uh, the God is the one true God exists eternally as three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Equal in glory, they're one in essence, they're distinct in person. So why does it say here, for my Father is greater than I? Well, in this state, Jesus has not yet been glorified. You know Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of 
no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse nine, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Jesus Christ continued to be God, but he condescended into the incarnation in a state of humiliation in order that he might one day, through exaltation, be, receive the name that is above every name. That's Jesus. 29, and now I've told you before it comes, and when it does come to pass, you may believe. That's fulfilled prophecy. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. What's Jesus talking about? Judas has already left. As Judas takes the bread, Satan enters him, and you get to see the, the players going out to do what they're going to do. And Satan is ultimately guiding and leading some of this stuff. And it says here, for the ruler of this world, we're talking about Satan, is coming as he, as he, as he is, is, is uh, working with, with uh, Judas. And he has nothing in me. 31, that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Jesus says, I'm going to a cross to die for the sins of the world. And then he says, arise, let us go from here. You want to know how much God loves you and loves me? He showed that love by going to a cross to die for you and for me. As we meditate on the love of God, what a comfort it is to us and a motivation for us to love him and to keep his commands. What a wonderful prayer to say, Lord, help me love you in my attitudes, in my actions, in my affections. As you have changed and transformed my heart, lead me and guide me to love you, to serve you, to honor you, and to glorify you. Can we take some time to pray? Uh, Father, we come together tonight and we're reminded that we need your peace. Not the kind of peace that the world gives, but the peace that you give. Because, Lord, when we take a look at our lives, we're reminded that death is a reality that we all face. All of us struggle with problems. All of us find ourselves needing peace of mind, peace in relationships where there is conflict. We need your peace, and we know that you offer that peace in and through the work of uh, of Christ and the work that he's done on the cross, but you provide that peace through the Holy Spirit who lives in us and resides in us. And so, Father, I do pray for your peace. For those, of, uh, for those who maybe even be listening to this and they don't know you, they don't have peace with God, Lord, that in a moment like this, they would be convicted by the spirit of truth <laughs> and they would see their need for Christ and him crucified and they would say, Jesus, I make you my savior. I make you my Lord. You're the one I'm going to follow all the days of my life into eternity. You're the one. Uh, you're the one I'm going to follow. I pray, Lord, for, for us who know you, who know Christ, who have the spirit of truth, Lord, that you would continue to guide and direct us in that. Lord, whatever those things that uh, are hindering our love for you, and our attitudes, actions, and affections, Father, identify those, help us to confess those. In a moment like this, we want to be right with you because we want to love you as you have loved us. 
Father, we thank you for the comforting words that we've had. We pray, Lord, that, they would, uh, that we would be able to call them to mind this week in moments when we need them or moments that we can share them with those that we find ourselves in our circles of influence with. So, Father, thank you for these things. Pray your blessing for, over us tonight. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.